You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. A campaign reuses some of the old comment crew code, but McAfee researchers think it's not the same old crew. Facebook thinks its big breach was the work of spammers, not spies. Twitter releases a trove of trolling and invites researchers to take a look. Researchers disclose flaws in D-Link and Linksys routers. Ghost Squad says that they downed YouTube the other day, but who knows? And if YouTube does go down, please don't call 911. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, October 18th, 2018. Researchers at McAfee Advanced Threat Research report finding a hitherto unremarked data reconnaissance implant that's targeting Korean speakers. They're calling it Ocean Salt, an homage to the earlier Sea Salt implant that the old Chinese comment crew used back in 2010. Indeed, Ocean Salt reuses code from Sea Salt. The very prolific and busy comment crew, also known as APT1, is thought to have gone dormant since its exposure in 2013, but it would now seem to be back. Only it doesn't seem to McAfee that this is in fact the familiar comment crew. There's code similarity, but on other grounds, the researchers conclude that this is a different actor. McAfee's report posits three possibilities, and they're commendably reticent about jumping to an attribution. Here are the possible scenarios they think most likely. First, it might be a code-sharing arrangement between what's left of comment crew and some other threat actor. Or it could be the case that a different group has gotten the sea salt source code from someone who'd worked in the old comment crew. Or finally, it could be a false flag operation, with some unknown threat actor seeking to make it appear that China and North Korea were colluding in this campaign. The researchers do say that whoever wrote the code had at least a good working knowledge of the Korean language. Operations are thought to be closely targeted, with implants distributed via two compromised sites based in South Korea and to be prospecting targets in Canada and the U.S., as well as in the Republic of Korea. The campaign infected its targets through spear phishing, the fish bait in most cases being malicious Excel files. It proceeded in five waves. The first wave targeted South Korean universities, the second South Korean public infrastructure, and the third wave the Inter-Korean Cooperation Fund. The fourth wave hit targets outside North Korea, mostly in the U.S. and Canada. And a fifth wave prospected American and South Korean organizations. The story is developing. In the meantime, see McAfee's report for details on what to look for. Many U.S. states aspire to become the Silicon Valley of cyber, and several of them have thriving startup communities. To mention just a few, there are thriving companies along Colorado's Front Range, 
in San Antonio, Texas, Huntsville, Alabama, Atlanta, Georgia, New York, New York, and Boston, Massachusetts. What they tend to have in common are alpha customers, university researchers, or venture capital. Sometimes they have all three. We're biased, however, in favor of Baltimore, and we think the Chesapeake already is the Silicon Valley of cyber. It has all three of these ingredients, including the biggest alpha customer of them all, right next door to us at Fort Meade. And in the spirit of full disclosure, we're one of the hundreds of companies in Maryland's cyber sector, which also spills over into Virginia and even the District of Columbia. We produce this show from the studios at Data Tribe, and we're pleased to acknowledge Data Tribe as an investor. And today we speak with Data Tribe's Mike Janke, who's working to bring some of the startups who've cut their teeth on government work into the commercial space at Port Covington in Baltimore. It's an opportunity where you coalesce the largest concentration of commercial cybersecurity companies. I liken it to this, Dave. Texas is where you drill to get oil. You don't go to Iowa to drill oil to try to compete with Texas. Why? Iowa doesn't have the oil. Um, It's much like Maryland would not have much of a chance if it tried to become the financial epicenter of the world. That's New York City. Maryland has the largest body of cyber and cyber trained experts in the world by far. You have the NSA, Cybercom, DISA, and 30 other classified federal organizations on cyber. Hmm. New York doesn't have that. Texas doesn't have that. California doesn't have that. So much like the oils in Texas, all the talent is here. And, and is, that, is that talent a result of the proximity to government? Is it, is it universities? Is it research and development? What, what, what caused that you know, natural resource, if you will, to, to spring up here and not somewhere else? It's because of all of those, Dave. You have, uh, obviously, the classified agencies that have hundreds of billions of dollars of funding, NSA, Cybercom, DISA, Applied Physics Lab, so on and so forth. But Maryland, for the first time, passed California in 2017 for graduating the most computer science, cyber engineer-related graduates in the country Hmm. and what you have now is you have this massive nation state trained cyber computer science force that's fighting the russians the chinese the iranians from the offensive side you have the largest university system graduating computer and cyber engineers and now you begin to build this commercial ecosystem Uh, this is why we're building cybertown usa um, right outside of Baltimore and Port Covington. So in an in a interconnected world where we can be connected to anyone anywhere in the world with our mobile devices, with our computers, why is proximity important? Why putting everyone together in one place at a place like Port Covington? What are the advantages to that? That's a great question. In this area, the average age of, let's say, an experienced seven-year cybersecurity expert coming out of the the NSA or Cybercom is about 31, Hmm. right? In Silicon Valley, it's about 23. So they may have a husband, kids, a wife, uh, a home. And so it's very, very hard for them to uproot and, and move to new, you know, take the train to New York or California. The other part of that is 
Right now in Maryland, there are over 260 cybersecurity firms and startups, but they're spread all over. So Port Covington is very unique. It is about 230 acres on the water, raw, where Under Armour put its headquarters. The other part of it that is unique that's never found anywhere in the world, it is the only place, the only small city, if you will, that has its own hardened fiber optic cable that they control. It's not controlled by city, state, or county. Hmm. So all those components aligning where on day one, uh, as the buildings are going up, there will be between 30 and 40 commercial cybersecurity firms moved in. So Maryland and Baltimore itself have given the largest tax incentive fund in the country at 600 and something million dollars for this area. Then you couple in the secure, hardened infrastructure from day one. So in the world of cybersecurity, there really is a war going on to actually be the flag in the ground that says this is the cyber commercial cyber hub of the world. But again, you don't drill for oil in Iowa. And that's that's the advantage of Maryland. And I'm a transplant. But the reason I'm here is as an investor and startup builder. This is where the talent is. That's Mike Janke from Data Tribe. Facebook has concluded that the breach it recently sustained was the work of criminal spammers and not a nation-state's intelligence service. The spammers appear to have been interested in using the data stolen from 30 million individuals to increase their revenue from bogus advertising. And, of course, the data lost in the Facebook breach can certainly be used to craft more convincing social engineering attacks. Be on the key vive when you answer the phone or look at your email. Twitter has released a trove of Russian tweets issued at the time of the UK's Brexit vote. The sock puppets were for it, which will probably come as no surprise, since sock puppets tend to think political change is in itself a good thing. The surge in pro-Brexit tweets occurred on June 23, 2016, the day of the Brexit vote. The troll farmers had as many as 3,800 bogus Twitter accounts, and they tweeted out some 1,100 posts, with the hashtag reasons to leave EU. What effect the tweets had on the voting is, of course, unclear. Twitter's release includes more than just pro-Brexit trolling. The company has also released inauthentic Twitter activity targeting U.S. voting, Russian domestic issues, and so on. The hope, Twitter CEO Dorsey says, is that researchers will find the material useful. Iranian operators have been using fake social media persona in relatively ineffectual attempts at influencing U.S. elections. The Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab notes that the Iranian effort was much smaller than the information operations mounted from Russia. One difference between the two approaches seems to have been that the Iranian operators were more focused on achieving specific shifts in public opinion. The Russian approach was opportunistic, which in this case paradoxically means it was more sophisticated. Their goal seems to have been simple disruption, an increase in their adversaries' friction. It's easier to throw sand in the gears than it is to direct an engine. Researchers at Poland's Silesian University of Technology have found remote code execution vulnerabilities in D-Link routers. Security Week's report says no fixes appear to be available. 
and a different set of routers have also been discovered to be vulnerable. Cisco Talos researchers have found flaws in Lynx's E-series routers, but in this case there are patches available. NBC News sends GCHQ's National Cybersecurity Center a mash note saying the U.S. has nothing like it and should copy it. We're fans of the NCSC, but perhaps NBC is overlooking the Department of Homeland Security's National Protection and Programs Directorate. NPPD fills a similar role. Not identical, but similar, and it's being tested during the current midterm election season. And finally, from our slacker desk comes this particular nugget. Make of it what you will. If you were among the many disappointed idlers who found they couldn't watch PewDiePie on YouTube for about an hour Tuesday, well, maybe there's an explanation. The skids at Ghost Squad are twittering that they're the ones who took down YouTube. That's Ghost Squad, the hacker losers, not Ghost Squad, the first-person shooter, or Ghost Squad, the online TV show. Our slacker desk hastens to clarify a confusion we didn't have the heart to tell them we never really suffered. The report comes from The Sun, which says the tweet said, quote, YouTube downed by Ghost Squad hackers, quote. And it even came with four hashtags. GSH, Ghost Squad hackers, YouTube down, and downed by GCH. So there you go. But YouTube's now been up for some time, whether the outage was a hack or a glitch. Our favorite reaction to the incident came from the Philadelphia Police Department, which tweeted, Yes, our YouTube is down too. No, please don't call 911. We can't fix it. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. 
Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Dr. Charles Clancy. He's the executive director of the Hume Center for National Security and Technology at Virginia Tech. Uh, Dr. Clancy, uh, welcome back. We had an interesting article come by. This was from uh, Avionics Today. And uh, the article was discussing cognitive electronic warfare. It was titled Radio Frequency Spectrum Meets Machine Learning. Uh, This is something that is up your alley. Uh, Can you describe to us uh, what's going on here? So over the last 10 years, uh, we've seen a shift in the cognitive radio uh, ecosystem. So if if you're familiar with cognitive radio, it's this idea that we can put artificial intelligence behind a software-defined radio, and that artificial intelligence can better control the radio, make it work better in the environment, particularly uh, in the the face of interference or, or jammers or noise. You can look at the flip side of that and says, well, what if we put artificial intelligence behind a jammer? Um, how might it be able to uh, be able to outwit uh, the cognition that sits behind the cognitive radio? Hmm. So over the last 10 years, we've had sort of three different communities develop. You have uh, the cognitive radio community that's trying to build uh, the, the, the wireless devices that can uh, sort of outwit uh, things in their RF environment. Uh, we've also seen the cognitive radar community uh, come into existence uh, with radar systems that are increasingly sophisticated and intelligent and able to work around different sources of interference or jamming in the environment, uh, and then cognitive jammers that are trying to outwit uh, the, uh, uh, the AI that's in the, uh, the adversary systems. So this is sort of leading to this interesting AI arms race in the electromagnetic battle space uh, where you've got jammers and radars and uh, communication systems all sort of trying to get into each other's head and figure out what the other one's going to do next. Do any of them uh, have have any sort of lead over the others? Well, first, there's some just because of the the RF environment, uh, it's a really really hard problem. Yeah, uh, you can imagine uh, there's noise, there's there's uh, distortion, there's multipath, there's all kinds of effects in the RF environment that make it difficult to know exactly what the other person's doing. It's like I don't know, trying to play chess against someone, but you're not able to directly observe the chessboard. You can only sometimes see a blurry version of the chessboard, and you have to try and infer what their strategy is. Hmm. Um, so it makes a really interesting, from, of course, from a university perspective, it's a really interesting research problem of, of how much information can you actually glean about an adversary through noisy observations uh, over the RF, uh, uh, through the RF environment. Um, but then there's a lot of real practical uh, applications uh, within a lot of these military systems. Now, are these the sorts of things that, that we could find eventually trickling down to uh, consumer devices? Um, certainly the cognitive radio technology we've seen uh, for the past 20 years really beginning to uh, increasingly uh, influence uh, Wi-Fi and cellular technologies. As far as the jammers, uh, of course, it's still illegal to operate uh, a jammer in the United States right, under the Communications right. Act of 1934, so hopefully not. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, it's interesting stuff as always. Uh, Dr. Charles Clancy, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. 
Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.